This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. Our guest today is Torin Danowski. He's a 33-year-old man living in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He attempted transition twice in his early 30s after struggling with gender most of his life. But once he realized that his gender dysphoria was actually the symptom of something deeper, he began addressing that deeper issue and saw the pain of gender dysphoria begin to subside. A link to his autobiographical article, Running in Circles to Find Myself, can be found in our liner notes. And here's our conversation with Torin. Welcome back to Transparency, everyone. I'm Aaron Kimberly here with my co-host Aaron Terrell, and are, uh, we're happy to welcome you, Torin, to uh, to our show here. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. So um, we would love to just get to hear your story and get to know a little bit about um, the journey that that you've personally taken. Yeah, I mean, it's cliche, but I mean, life in general is a journey, and so. Um... Uh, I guess, of course, sort of gender is a part of that. I mean, I, I don't even know. Um, it's it's something that, uh, I mean, I guess at this point in my life, I kind of look back on it and in a lot of ways wish, uh, wish I hadn't gotten so caught up in it. Um, I... Uh, I, I'm a, I'm in my mid thirties. I, I struggled. I struggled with gender dysphoria from, from a young age. Um, I didn't really know what it was uh, at a young age, just felt just that kind of classic story about feeling different, really not knowing what was going on um, at some point uh, discovered something about uh, transitioning somewhere along the lines. I don't know. I might, the first time I may have heard about it was, was probably on some like talk show when I was like five or six years old, you know, one of those crazy, like mid nineties, mid Jerry Springer. Yeah. Uh, Actually, no, it was probably one of the, it was probably one of the, like the, um, the cleaner ones. Yeah. One of the cleaner ones where it's just like, they bring up the, the interesting stories and have people talk about it. And so they have some like, you know, 50 year old, uh, trans woman come on and talk about their story. And it's like, okay, this is weird. Um, and then, and then it might have been it might have been seeing something in the Guinness Book of World Records about like most sex change operations performed that I was like, oh, that's that's real. That's something that can happen. Um, and that I don't know. There was just something about that that for some reason resonated um, from a from a young age. And so this is going back to uh, late nineties, probably the late nineties, probably um, when I'm learning about all of this stuff, and it and it just kind of stuck with me. It was just something that I would say um, haunted me because I didn't uh, I didn't ever hate uh, being male. I didn't I didn't despise it. There was something about masculinity that was just um, uncomfortable to me, especially whatever, you know, whatever the late nineties, early two thousands masculinity was and whatever the ideal was back then. Um, I didn't really, I didn't quite fit into and it. So, so it bothered me and there was just something intriguing about the other side that, you know, just as time went on from going, you know, my, my pre-adolescence into adolescence. And then, you know, as I, you know, became an adult, it just became more of, of like this obsession, like, okay, so things, sometimes things will be going hard, difficult in life. I'm having a hard time. 
you know, what about this other path? Like apparently other people are going this other direction and, and like transitioning and living as the opposite sex. It sounds wonderful. And it just became like this at least uh, pre like pre-university and then going into university, it became this uh, this big time obsession uh, that, yeah, I just, I, it's like, I, I couldn't, like it would go away and then just come back, go away, come back, go away, come back. And uh, thankfully during, at the, at the end of university, just had some experiences in life where I finally felt like I was starting to kind of grow up and become myself and be comfortable with who I was. And when I noticed when I started hitting that level, level of comfort and adulthood and confidence, just in, just in myself, um, I didn't, I didn't struggle with gender dysphoria. It just wasn't an issue. It was like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. Um, you know, is I'd relate it to, you know, growing up wanting to, to play American football or baseball or, you know, soccer or something. It's like, Oh, you know, I'd love to be a professional athlete, but that just wasn't in the cards. It's not how, you know, that's not, I'm not an elite athlete. And so it just can't happen. And so when I was confident in who I was and confident in my own identity, um, it's like, oh yeah, it'd be, it'd be wonderful to live as a woman. I wish I could do that, but it's like, eh, well, that's not who I am. I don't really care. It's neither here nor there. Um, I enjoy being a man. Um, and that's, and that's kind of, you know, back, it's kind of swung full circle and that's back to where I am today, but kind of went out on a, on a wild journey, um, in those like post post university years to get where I am today, about 10 years later, uh, there was, there's a long winding, um, sometimes very dark road, uh, in between then and today. What others do you think have, have clocked you as gender nonconforming in any way when you were a, a kid? Um, I don't think not necessarily, not, not necessarily outwardly. Um, I was very empathetic as a kid, uh, I've always been fairly emotional. So there's been some things that have been some things more on that side that were a little more stereotypically, I guess, feminine that even I would kind of get made fun of at, for as a kid. Cause I like, wasn't, I wasn't this like outgo, like super, shouldn't say outgoing like super aggressive like alpha male i was very sort of reserved um you know i didn't i didn't grow up in my teenage years just like talking about girls all the time for me it was like i, I wanted i was smart so i was doing well in school and i love sports so it's like my friends and i we would talk about you know school philosophical things sports and so then i would have like i remember i have this distinct memory like seventh or eighth grade um a girl asking me if I was gay because I never like flirted with her or something. I was like, Oh, I just, no, I'm, I'm not, but it's just not top of my mind. <laughs> um, eventually, yeah, I want to get married, have kids, those sorts of things. But I'm just like, like these things that all the other guys are doing, I'm just not quite as into, um, so, um, we obviously published, uh, posted your, uh, your kind of personal, um, story of how you, uh, got, uh, uh kind of, uh, yeah, detransitioned essentially. Yeah. Um, and then like, kind of like that internal process that happened, I'd love to get there, but before we do, you're saying this for a long time, you kind of, you, you were living as a man, you know, obviously as, as 
lives go, there's ups and downs and whatnot. Yeah. But what what happened? What was the turning point where well, I know obviously around 2015 is like trans was just became rather than being this weird thing on daytime yeah. television, became glorified and yeah. could something that could have been, you know, easily put to a side, suddenly you're just like, oh yeah, you know, yeah. I imagine, right? Yeah. Um so what 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 was that like? What happened there? So I think you're exactly right. It was it was right around that time. Um, I was a Christian missionary in Southeast Asia um, after university, and this is back in 2012. Uh, I was supposed to be over there for two years and um, ended up getting fired uh, from the job. I uh, I'm pretty open about it. It was a it was it was an abusive situation. It was a emotionally, verbally, spiritually abusive situation. It was dark. It was not good. It was it was just very poor. And it was something that um, at the time I, I loved. I loved what I was doing over there. Uh, was just doing a just helping out a lot of people. Um, just helping some college students, you know, navigate life, navigate their next decisions. Like some of them were coming over the, here to the states uh, for their next step in schooling. I'd help them out. I got into, like, I started kind of like, it was that year that I started flourishing as myself. Like I saw like my artistic side coming out. Like for me, um, you know, none of my male role models were artistic aside. I mean, my dad was, but I actually didn't see that side of him very often, which was interesting enough, but that stuff like started coming out. I, I got into photography. I got into writing. I got into uh, playing and writing music. Um, and it, and like that was really coming out and I'm like, oh, like I'm a man and, and I'm starting to see what I love and enjoy, like really flourish. I'm good with this. But I it met uh, it met at that time. Um, I won't get into the whole details because this would be like uh, church stuff and what's gone on with like the, the, the big churches, and the big movements of religion the past uh, 20 years. And I, I could r ramble on for hours about that, but it, it just it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And it really attacked. It really attacked my identity. It was basically what was happening was, you know, I was learning how to be myself, learning how to sort of stand up for myself, learning how to be this sort of creative, um, intentional, willful individual um, that wanted to do good in the world. But I was being told, actually, no, you're problematic what you're, what you're doing is wrong. You're not a, like, we don't know how to deal with you because you're not just this standard, you know, normal male missionary. Like you're kind of more of this mystical artistic guy that just doesn't fit in with our role with what we want to do. And then even at, at one point, um, you know, just living overseas, you get, you hit a point like around eight or nine months after anywhere from really six to nine months after living and you're, and you're going to be living there for a longer period of time, you start to go through kind of a second wave of culture shock. You have your initial like, Oh man, this is weird. But then it's like, actually, this is my life now. This is different. And so there were just some stresses uh, coming up. I was in a, you know, had a, had a growing relationship with a girl at the time um, who I eventually married and that was hitting some rocky parts and, this was sometime like nine or 10 months in for the, you know, the first, and it, I hadn't dealt with gender dysphoria like the entire time. And then suddenly one night I had a dream that in that dream, I had transitioned and was living as a woman. 
and I woke up just like freaked out. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I, I, how, how did this happen? Like, why did I have this dream? Why am I still thinking about this? I've never, I've never wanted, like, I haven't wanted this in like a year. I thought I was done with this. What's going on. Um, and I didn't tell my boss about that dream because it was a very religiously conservative movement. And it was like, I, I can't say this because if I say this, I'm going to get fired, sent home, you know, sent to a, you know, sent to a, you know, insane asylum or something. Um, but he took the distress from that and flipped it on its head and basically used it as an excuse for, you know, spiritual, emotional abuse. And so from there, um, yeah, my, my identity, what, what had, what had become this kind of blossoming identity as a, as a full individual, a healthy individual, a whole individual just started slowly cracking and crumbling. And I came home, I think, I think I had to fly home. It was either the day, it was either Christmas Eve or the day before um, I had to fly home to my parents and, uh, and I, yeah, I went through, I went through some dark times there. And at, and it was at that time, 2013, when you first started, you know, hearing about um, the trans movement in the mainstream, you know, once in a while, CNN would have a, have an article about like Laverne Cox or something like that. And it just slowly started, you know, gaining momentum. And here I am like struggling with my identity. I had lost my faith. I, I had lost sort of everything that was making me, me, I lost. Um, except for at the time, uh, this girl that I was dating, um, she kind of helped me like the, the prospect of getting married and starting a family with her kind of, you know, held it together. Um, but as time went on, we, you know, we got married in the spring of 2014. And as, as, as time went on, I was still suffering from sort of the, the post-traumatic stress of the abuse and the firing and the things that really went on. And I, I didn't recognize it as such. You know, I'd have these little things that would happen, like go to try, try to buy a car. And because I couldn't find like a perfect car, used car with absolutely nothing wrong with it that was in my price range, like I'd, I'd have like anger, like explosive anger over it for just like no reason. Um, and as time went on, like I, I got married, I was like really successful in my job, but I, I was still just so like something was wrong. Like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I enjoy these things? Why am I still in so much pain? You know, going through the sort of religious aspect of it's like, does God still love me? Like what's going on? And during this time, you know, 2015, 2016, it, it just, the snowball, the trans snowball just started rolling. And then, you know, I get active, start getting active on social media, whether it's Instagram or Reddit or some of those old, those old trans forums that were out there. And it was like, oh man, maybe this is what's wrong with me. Maybe, maybe the reason why I'm in so much pain and just don't seem to be able to function and live life to the fullest is because I'm actually trans. Like I actually have this like female brain inside of my body and, and I need to go and do these things. And you see, you know, you start reading the stories and you see the pictures on Instagram, you see the pictures on Reddit and like, everybody's just so happy. And it's like, this is the best thing. This is the most amazing thing in the world. Like, look at how dead I looked before I started doing this. And then, um, then at one point my, my wife, you know, as, as I was just kind of crumbling mentally, my wife just out of the blue left one day. 
Um, and this was about five years ago. And uh, let's just say I'm still still not recovered from that. Uh, but that just sort of sent the spiral even further because I got into this place like, oh my gosh, if she's leaving and if I can't get her to come back, like the only thing I can do is transition. So what does that mean? So then I kind of fought too hard and pushed her even further away because I was using her as my excuse to not transition, which is not, not a good, it's not a good thing to put a spouse through um, at all. And it just, yeah, it just kept spiraling to, to at one point I started, you know, I started kind of opening up to um, some local, I, I started going to a local church here again in Philly um, that was more on the conservative side. And, but I started opening up to some of my friends and like one of my friends, I sat down one night, we were at a bar having a couple beers and she's like, you're your face and your, your personality just like lights up when you talk about wanting to transition. And it's like, okay, maybe I need to do this. And so this was probably, I mean, I think this was right before the pandemic. So 2020, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do this. And yeah, decided at that point that I was uh, going to go through the process. Yes, it sounds like a lot of external messages for you, you know, saying you know, you're not fitting our expectations yep. of what a man is supposed to be. Yep. Have you ever read the book, the book Jesus and John Wayne? I have not. I've uh, heard of it many times actually recently, but I have not read it. It's um, it's been a while since I've looked at it, but it it, it traces. And again, I mean, you said you don't want to go into all of the you know different movements that have happened <laughs> in the Christian Church over the last twenty years, but um, you know, just touching on it, I mean, the, the premise of the book is, you know, this very, I don't know how conscious it was, but it was a deliberate attempt to, um, to masculinize our, you know, the, according to the American concept of, of masculinity, to masculinize the, the Christian male in American yeah. culture to fit sort of that, that rough, rough and rugged John Wayne sort of stereotype. Yeah. Yeah. And there's definitely, I mean, I think there was, I've been recently, recently listening to a podcast that was talking about that. And I think, I think to some extent, it's like, I understand why the message resonates and I understand why in some senses that's, that's actually needed because in, in a lot of ways, our culture today is almost like devaluing masculinity and devaluing femininity. It's, it's trying to get rid of both ends of the for lack of a better word, spectrum. Um, it, it's trying to get rid of both ends and just make everything blend together. And it's like, actually, that's, that's not how, that's not really how it works. Um, and so there was an aspect of that that really, uh, like really fit with me. And that's why I got so involved and ended up becoming a missionary. It was because like, hey, like I, I do like some of these aspects of masculinity and i do like some of the aspect of say making the church a little bit more masculine a little bit more a little bit more like punk rock rebellious um like i actually but that that part of that was because i actually did i had as much as i had somehow come to at, at that point sort of hate it like i actually did love the masculine parts of myself I actually did, but for some reason, because I didn't quite fit that mold, uh, or 
you know, just tended to walk to the beat of my own drum a little bit, like it, there was just this constant reinforcement of like, oh, this, this is actually isn't good. You, you know, you're not good. You're bad. There's something wrong with you. And it made me hate those aspects of myself um, as opposed to embrace them. And so it was like, well, actually, so maybe, maybe these other things, these more feminine aspects of myself, maybe that's the real me. And I just need to 100% dive into that. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of, a lot of folks that have dealt with dysphoria and, and gone through some of the stuff. I mean, I I've heard it so many times. It's like, we, we tend to be like black and white thinkers, like it's an either or, and yeah, everything that had happened, like from the, from the abuse to coming back and getting all the messaging about the trans movement, it just sent me down that black and white rabbit hole even further until, um, yeah, eventually I just broke. So I guess you, your face... you, you were living for, oh, go on Aaron. Actually, yours is probably more relevant. Well, it, it just sounds like you were faced with this decision. Like if I can't be successful as male, what are your options, right? I mean, you either, yep. you either change those aspects of yourself to be the model male that you're, you're told you should be, yep. or the option is femaleness. Like there's no, there's nothing in between. Right. So it's, it's yep. either or. Yep. Exactly. And you said you were quite like kind of thriving for about a year of transition, um, and then that kind of well, like what what where did that process start when you began transition? What was it? Did it like how did that make you feel? Why was yeah. it? Why was it so good? So temporarily, essentially. Yeah. So I actually uh, twice twice I had I attempted transition. Oh, uh, okay. Once so uh, once was a very half hearted attempt where uh, it was at right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, okay, um, I, I started making a lot of friends kind of in the, in, a little bit more in the trans community here in Philadelphia. And there's a fairly big one here. Uh, and I was just trying to, like at that time, I had just finished up the divorce uh, and I, I was trying to, I was trying to escape it. And I was learning, oh, I need community. I need to be around people. And these people are all celebrating my decision and my desire to want to transition. And so um, I went through the local informed consent clinic here, you know, started up on, um, on hormones and was like, oh man, this feels so good. Like, you know, a couple, like two or three months in, I'm like, oh, I, I love what's happening. I love how it's making me feel. I love how my body's like changing. Um, but it was also like right at the beginning of the pandemic. And here I was also wrestling with a ton of mental health issues and knowing I needed people to, to help through those, you know, mental health issues, you know, knowing that, knowing that we are like social animals and we need that socialization. And here I was living in a house by myself with my dog because my wife had left. And then Philadelphia told us that we weren't allowed to go and, you know, hang out with anyone. And I just, at that, at that point, I just was like, I, I can't. Like, I can't just do this. I can't just transition and um, also have to deal with this darkness of being so isolated because of the pandemic. I started kind of diving back into some of my faith and reading some things and trying to, to figure it out. And, you know, at one point, you know, it hit this. And this is only a couple of months in. So this is probably like I, I probably started hormones like spring of 2020 and this was like summer of 2020 I, I was just like actually you know maybe there's still maybe there still is this aspect of me that really 
does actually love my masculinity and my manhood. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. And so I stopped and, but I stopped in a way that was like, uh, now because I did this, I have to go. And again, black and white thinking, you know, flip the other direction. It was like, okay, well, I got to figure out a way to get my wife back. Um, again, not just not healthy, just not healthy thought process at all. And it went on, this went on like a, just a, almost a violent kind of flipping back and forth for probably six, seven, eight months, uh, 2020 going into 2021. Like, Oh, I gotta, I, I have to, I have to figure out a way to make things work as a man. Um, or I have to go back to transitioning. And eventually I, yeah, I got to a point in the spring of 2021 where it's like, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I just can't deal with the back and forth. I need to make a decision, do something. And since if I keep going the route of trying not to transition, since that's not working, I'm just going to dive back into it. So that time I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to dive back into it. So I, I went back on hormones in, in 20 spring of 2021. I only told a few people. I mean, I wasn't very open about it. And then eventually, uh, fall of 2021, I came out publicly on social media to, to friends, uh, family knew about it for the first time. And, uh, aside from my immediate fan family and some, and, and some of my church, uh, everyone was like universally, like so supportive because, well, that's what they're supposed to do. Um, and I was getting involved in uh, just some political things at the time uh, because I was, I was just so frustrated with what was going on. I think, you know, for me, I mean, I mean, call it selfish. I, I don't know. I mean, some aspects of it were very selfish, but like I, I, I suffered deeply from having to deal with the pandemic stuff. It, it crushed my men mental health. And so I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be some sort of middle ground between what the city of Philadelphia is doing and just a free for all where, you know, everybody potentially gets sick and dies. Like there's gotta be some sort of middle ground. And because I have a differing opinion, I shouldn't be shunned and um, that sort of thing. Uh, and so I got involved, heavily involved politically and started speaking out against mandates and stuff going on here and like people loved it like and i was part of a, a the the u.s libertarian party and a, and a wing of it that was tended to be more socially conservative as opposed to some other wings of u.s libertarianism that are a little bit more libertine and are just like oh, anything goes like do whatever you want um the wing i was involved in was a little bit more socially conservative and they loved to have, I mean, they loved having, um, well, I actually should say, I'm probably being speaking a little bit too um, specifically here. I think, I think they, a lot of them sort of being socially conservative, you know, struggled and maybe had maybe disagreed with my decisions to transition, but they loved the fact that I was still involved, still on their side on a lot of things and understood and even agreed with some of their, some of the, the, you know, misgivings they had about say trans culture and the politics involved in it and that sort of thing. And so I, you know, kind of quickly shot up to where 
Um, I was, I was pretty prominent. Uh, like not a huge, like not, not like any, not like everybody in the libertarian movement would know my name. Like not at all. I wasn't like that. Uh, but at least a lot of people and a lot of influential people knew at least who I was and what I was doing. And so they wanted me to get involved. Um, at one point they were going to try to get me to run for governor of Pennsylvania. Um, which I actually wasn't eligible for because I hadn't lived here long enough. And then, um, then they wanted me to run for potentially run for mayor in Philadelphia. Like I, I had this, uh, I don't know. I just had this, this people behind me and, um, I guess was just saying the right things and kind of had the right message and right confidence. And I, and I thought a lot of that was because I had decided that I was going to transition. I was like, okay, so now I'm just being myself and working towards being myself. And now I just feel free to go do what I need to do. Um, but so this was, I mean, this was probably last, I guess, last spring and last summer. So, you know, spring of 2022, summer of 2022, like something was just still not like, it just still wasn't right. Like it, it felt like it felt good. Um, it felt good. And I felt like I was operating. I felt, I felt like I was thriving. I was functioning. Uh, but like there was still something off and the way I kind of like to, to, you know, explain it to people is, is I feel like at least in my experience, and I mean, I, I hesitate to say this, but kind of tend to believe this broadly as well, that, that gender dysphoria is like the pain of a broken limb. Like say you're, you're walking around, you shatter your leg shatter compound fracture open fracture sticking out of your leg it's it's a hellish feeling it's it's painful it's you can't walk you can't function because the pain is so bad and but but gender dysphoria isn't it isn't the broken leg it's it's the pain from it like there's something broken underneath that and so what i started realizing was like okay there's something there's something here that transition isn't addressing. And, and, and what I was starting to realize is like transition was sort of like, for me, it was the morphine for that broken leg. It was numbing the pain, but the problem is that the pain would start creeping back up. So then you got to take another shot of morphine. And what I was starting to notice, I was starting to get to a point where I had been on hormones for a little over a year um, you know, changes were definitely happening, but they were kind of slow. And, you know, you start talking with people online and on forums and you start wondering, well, okay, so what do I, what do, I do next? Are there like surgeries? Are there more drugs? Is there more things that I do? And it, it was starting to hit me like, oh, each one of these next steps, it's, it's kind of just like another shot of morphine here. Um, it's not actually dealing with the broken bone. Because when you break a bone, yeah, you you might need that morphine for a little while, but you then you set the bone. You either set it with a brace, a cast. Sometimes they have to go in and put a steel plate in there to fix it. Like, but you have to treat the bone. If you don't treat the bone, then it gets infected. The leg, you know, the leg starts dying uh, in worst case scenarios. Um, and in some ways I, I started, I'm very just grateful and feel blessed that I started realizing, oh, wait, 
there's still a broken bone here that I'm not addressing. And then at one point, um, you know, I just, I had, I had like a, just a hellish weekend, like a hellish mental health weekend where, um, I was not doing well and I was starting the process of like getting on the ballot to run as a state representative and then run as mayor and these things. And you know, everybody loves me. And I was, I was just miserable, miserable. And I said, why, why am I miserable? Why, why do I hate myself so much? Why do I despise myself so much? And I started asking these questions. It's like, okay, why, why do I hate myself? Like other people in my life have loved me. Like the people in the libertarian party seem to love me. My parents love me, you know, before my wife left, she saw something good in me and loved it. Like what, why do I hate myself? And I started kind of piecing it together that, you know, what, what this broken bone was, was this, this sense of like just self-hatred and self-rejection that I had from all the years of being told that I wasn't good or wasn't good enough or that I had to be perfect or that I had to fit some sort of mold. I started realizing, wait, these are just lies that I'm telling myself on a daily basis and not even daily, like a, a minute by minute basis that I'm just drilling into my head, like Torin, you're no good. You're not good enough as a man. You're not good enough as a person. You need to just keep numbing yourself. You need to, you need to do the ultimate numbing, which for me, you know, I, I've never been one who struggled with say, um, suicide ideation. I have been blessed to never have to have to really deal with struggling with that. But like transition and idealizing and having this like transition ideation was like my version of that. And it was like this ultimate numbing. But then I suddenly realized it was like one day and just, just, yeah, I had written about it in, in, uh, on my, um, sub stack. And then you guys had shared it one day, just through a series of events realized, oh, if I choose not to hate myself anymore, if I choose to extend some grace and love to myself, if I actually choose, if I actually choose to do the act of loving myself, then this pain, like that's, that's like, that's like setting the bone and this pain starts going away and there's still like anytime you break a bone that bad and then it heals, you're going to still deal with some lingering pain and issues for a while. And I've been dealing with that for now, I don't know, seven, eight months where, you know, things come back up. I still struggle. There's still hurt. There's still pain there surrounding gender. But for the most part, it's like that leg is finally starting to heal that, that broken, that like broken identity that was just so damaged by various things that have happened throughout my life is starting to get pieced back together. And I'm, and it's like, I don't, I don't need to numb anymore. And so once I realized that, that was, that was it. I, I just, you know, kind of stealthily, you know, changed my name back on, on all social media. Um, even I was out at work and just changed things back at work. And I, you know, I was just like, okay, I'm just going to go back to being me. And if anybody, if anybody wants to, you know, talk to me about it, has questions, concerns, is interested, I'll talk about it. I'll share my story. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the process that just, 
and looking back, I'm, I'm, I'm just so thankful I got to that point before I decided that I needed to keep going further. Um, because at least for me, and I know, I know it's like you deal, anybody breaks a limb, anybody struggles with these sorts of things. Like, yeah, sometimes you need more morphine. Sometimes you need more of something than other people do. Like, I'm not going to sit here and like judge anyone for going through with a transition so long as like you're you're still like trying to deal with that broken leg because if you if you're not then it just keeps it just keeps going if you're not dealing with like the underlying thing you know treat the pain treat the pain do what you need to do to to be able to live a happy thriving whole life treat treat the pain if you're not dealing with what's underneath then it just it'll it'll just spiral and I think we're seeing that in a lot of cases. Was part of the morphine for you, other people's reaction to your decision to transition? Because it sounds like you went from, you know, these these messages from other people that you're not man enough, you know, there's something wrong with you. And then you made the decision to transition and started telling people about that. And it sounds like people really circled around you and said, that's awesome. And, and kind of were your cheerleaders. And now suddenly, you know, you're, you're being asked to run for governor and mayor and where it sounds like there's a lot of, you know, career success and, and, and praise and attention being paid to you. Did that, was that part of the morphine for you? Is that uh, like, I wonder how it would have been differently if everyone around you said, well, are you sure, man? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a hundred percent, because I think, um, I think that was the main thing because I, I, I've told people since then, it's like, I feel like if I had been born say 10 years earlier, and started struggling with things the way I did when I did. And it had been so still, you know, socially a taboo, you know, if it was, if it, if it was 2010, 2011, as opposed to 2020, 2021. Um, yeah, I, I just would have been too fearful to do it. But then since it became just this, so, you know, and I, I live in, I live in Philadelphia. It's a very, very culturally progressive city. And, and you know, even my neighborhood, it's like, you know, if anybody said anything kind of cross to me about transitioning, like I would have had people in my neighborhood stick up for me and even physically fight for me just because that's what they feel like they need to do. And in some ways, I think in some ways, it's like I, I think that's a wonderful thing because um, at least you have people who are hurting and have are struggling. You do have people kind of recognizing that and wanting to help. But for me. It's like one of those things where sometimes helping actually kind of hurts because it just reinforced what it was is like, it's like I'm hearing people like praise me and it was, so it was wonderful. So it reinforced what I was doing, but what I was doing was actually just continuing to reinforce my own self hatred and self rejection. So it's like, I'd hear that and I'd hear, Oh, like Torin, or I was, I was going by Audrey at the time. It was like, Audrey, this is so amazing. You're so great. I love you. You're doing so great. And I'm so proud of you and you be you. And it's like, okay, but there is still that part of me inside. That's like, Oh, actually I'm Torin. Actually, I hate myself. And you're just confirming that I hate myself by telling me how much you love me. So, but it was like, it, like, like you said, it was, it was numbing. It was the morphine. It was, it was, it was, it had this numbing effect. 
So it just kind of deepened that sort of numbing hole that I was going in. Yeah, that sounds like no one no one was really showing up for you to defend the kind of man that you are. Yeah. Right. It was that message of you're not man enough, but who was it sounds like no one was kind of rallying around you to say, well, like the kind of man that you are is is an awesome thing. Men get to be musical or sensitive or you know, I wonder how many people in your neighborhood would have showed up for you in the same way to to rally around and support you against the people that were saying you're not man enough because you have these these temperament characteristics or interests. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a big, it's a big thing. And, and I don't like looking back, I'm like, I'm trying to like, I'm going through this process right now where I'm uh, so I'm reading the book, uh, the body keeps the score uh, by was it Bessel van der Kolk or something. I think that was his name. It's this, you know, seminal work on, on psychology and trauma and, you know, actually healing trauma and healing, healing some mental health struggles without going just purely down the medicalization path, whether it's, you know, I, I don't, I'm still reading the book. I don't even know if there's any mention of the trans issue in the book, but um, it fits so well because like here I was having just this fragmented identity, fragmented personality and all of these different things like going through, like I went through the abuse, then my wife left, which just even reinforced deeper the, the struggles that I had with my own masculinity and my own manhood. And so much of that was just tied back to how my body learned how to deal with pain and suffering and trauma. And so instead of somebody coming in and saying, Oh, Hey, Torin, maybe, maybe these thoughts are just because of the pain you're dealing with, just your response to pain. Maybe this is just your natural way of um, dealing with pain for some reason. Instead, they were saying, well, let's integrate you. And because you have these questions of gender, um, you know, because you have these questions of gender, that means you're trans. So let's, let's transition you and then let's get your personality integrated back into this, you know, new trans identity. And, you know, it's not to say that I didn't have people push back. Um, I certainly did, but it was drowned out by, you know, the, the supportiveness of transitioning and this promise that if I transition, then the pain of gender dysphoria is going to go away and then I can deal with everything else. When really what I needed somebody to say was actually, hey, there's there's something deeper going on here. There's something deeper that's kind of broken. Um, can we work on this? Can we see what it looks like to fix this before we dive into transitioning or going down these other paths? It sounds a lot like you had so that 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 kind of internalized, um, like yeah, that that self hatred you kind of funneled funneled into the gender di dysphoria diagnosis, which then you could funnel into a clear solution, which was transition. Um, obviously, that's going to be really appealing to. And then again, that, then external reinforcement. It's pretty impressive that you kind of on your own just realized I'm just going down this this morphine conveyor belt and yeah. it's not it's like 
Um, so many people don't, right? They just continue doing it until, because you go on the forums and you're like, well, I did this, but I still don't feel like I'm really where I need to be. And they're like, oh, well, the next thing, the next thing. And then you get until there's no more things. And then, and then what? So, uh, that's, that's great that you, you identified that process, uh, quite, yeah, quite early before, not like irreversible things. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I feel very blessed and, and lucky to, to have that. Like, I, I mean, I, I've told people I've, I've been gifted, gifted and cursed with introspection. Um, I'm a very introspective person and in some ways that helps a lot. Like I, you know, I, I tend to know myself and be able to dig out insights, um, a lot quicker than a lot of people, but then at the same time, I can go down these rabbit holes that I just can get stuck in and, and gender dysphoria ended up being one of those rabbit holes. And unfortunately for, you know, people that struggle with gender dysphoria, you know, not, not everyone has that introspection. Not everyone is able to go through and make those decisions. I mean, especially, especially kids, <laughs> um, right, right. especially kids. I mean, this was hard enough as an adult that was, you know, struggling with this going into my thirties and now being in my mid thirties, like how, how is a, you know, a 12 year old actually going to be able to figure this out? How's a 16 year old? Um, so yeah, I just felt very blessed to be able to kind of make these connections and be like, okay, maybe maybe there actually is a way um because i think i got to a point when i when i finally you know started seeing the self-hatred and deciding to reject it i was like actually maybe, maybe there is a way to to live and thrive and not have gender dysphoria be this constant overwhelming presence um maybe there is because what what i was told was either my choices were between being miserable and which a lot of people will say, uh, you know, that that choice is actually suicide, which I, again, I never struggled with that. So I was never going, I don't, I mean, God willing, I won't ever want to take my life. Um, but it was like, okay, miser being miserable or suicidal, depressed, just, a, just a lump of cells and nothing more, or you can transition and thrive. Um, and that's what you're sold. And now like, I finally realized like, oh, wait, there is a path forward that deals with actually loving and taking care of myself that uh, is, is, it's like a third way. Like those, it's a, like we've, we've, uh, the way I've put it, at least in one of my uh, writings is like, we've traded, we've traded a true binary of sex for a false one that's well transition or die. Um, it's actually, no, there's, there's a million options in between and we should be seeking to find, we should be seeking to find the one in between that allows us to be healthy, whole individuals. Yep, but those of us with the, the with the black and white thinking, as you mentioned, we have a hard time <laughs> recognizing that. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 and I still I still struggle with that. I still struggle with it on a daily basis. It's and it's not just gender. It's like so many other things. It's like, oh, well, if I didn't do this at work, that means I'm a complete failure. And actually, when in reality, well, my boss didn't care. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. But my mind immediately goes to like absolute best or absolute worst on everything. And it's black and white. And 
yeah, I, it's like, I, I wish, I wish there had been, you know, in, you know, the mid 2010s, I wish there had been more people thinking along those lines and questioning along those lines so that, you know, I would have had somebody say, well, actually let's not think so black and white. And, and to be fair, uh, like therapists and people that I talked to did recognize that, um, they did recognize my black and white thinking and they did kind of push back on some black and white thinking, but you know, the kind of the way things are going and, and with, you know, therapy and psychology and gender and all this stuff, it's like, well, if I said I wanted to transition, then well, gosh, I should transition. Um, and I'm going to get all the support I want if that's what I want to do. Like, even though, even though they're telling me, oh, don't think so black and white. And I'm still thinking black and white and still deciding on black and white. Like the, it's like, they just rolled out the red carpet and just let me, let me go on doing that. And you, you went through the informed consent process, right? Cause you were an adult, you didn't. And then Philadelphia, I'm imagining you don't have to have like therapist letters and whatnot to get, uh, HRT. So that wasn't even, that part didn't even come into it. Right. Yeah, no, it was just, you know, it, uh, I went through two different places each time and it was, you know, it was, it was 10 minutes of talking and then I had a prescription. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, I want to do this. Great. Uh, do you know about some of the risks? Uh, yeah, I know about some of the risks. Oh, but do you know how great the benefits are? Oh yeah. I, I just want those so bad. It's like, okay, great you'll have your estrogen in a week. Like, great. <laughs> um, yep. So, I mean, and for me, again, like for me, I'm, I'm a very introspective person. So it's not like it's, it's something that it's not so, like, it's something that I hadn't processed. I mean, I'd been dealing with it for 20 years and had processed and had come to this point where I felt like I had no other option. And so I guess in theory, the sort of informed consent model would say, well, I was the perfect candidate for it. Um, but yeah, looking back, it's like, gosh, I wish, um, I wish there would have been even more gatekeeping. I wish there would have been, I wish there would have been like, I, I mean, I, I personally now look back on it and, and, and wish like it would have been completely impossible. I wish like, I wish it would have been completely impossible to even try to go down that route because it, um, it, it took away, it took away the things I loved most in my life. Um, it took away my wife who I loved dearly and like, I haven't even gotten to speak to her now in I haven't spoken to her in four years. And it's like, a, it's heart. It's like, it's gut wrenching. Um, because I, it's like when I, when I made the vows that I did, I meant them and I never wanted to leave. I never wanted her to leave. And it's just like, man, I screwed this up. I made a horrific decision um, that I wouldn't have made had it not been an option. And it had it not just been this thing that was so easily available. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> Yeah, processing through all of that and like just just how easy it was to to just go down that road. Um, I'm still grieving over the decisions that I made because I I, I just like I, I wish I would have known what I've kind of gotten to learn these last like six seven eight months and been like, man, 
if I just keep kind of sticking it out, waiting a little bit longer, learn, learn how I can, you know, learn how I can change my thought patterns. You know, you, you can change your thought patterns. You can change your emotions. I was just talking to somebody the other day. Um, you know, there's, you know, we as humans don't necessarily have control over our emotions and our desires. Um, but that's, it's not an absolute, that's not an absolute statement. It's like, we can put ourselves in position and surround ourselves with things that help change and mold our responses, our reactions, the things that we desire. And I wish somebody had told me along the lines, like, oh, this desire you have, this obsessive desire you have to transition, it's not, it's not this ingrained set in stone thing. It's not an innate uh identity it's not something that's just there and you have to deal with it and give into it it's like you can actually do things and kind of build structure into your life that helps mold and shape and heal heal the broken limb underneath that then changes the desire but i yeah i didn't know that um i didn't know that personally and i didn't have anybody pushing back on it so at the end of the day, like now I'm sitting in this place where I I'm sitting in that, you know, weird sort of area between like, yeah, I'm responsible for my decisions. I'm an adult. I, I made these decisions yet, you know, yeah. Where were the other adult, adults around me um, telling me no? why were there other adults around me just pushing me and cheering me on as I went? And so now it's like, okay, you know, how do I deal with this state of, you know, kind of being a victim of society yet also wanting to be a whole responsible human being that, that takes responsibility for my decisions. Um, it's, it's a weird, weird state to be in. Yeah. I think that, I think a lot of trans activists think of gatekeepers as kind of like, like the bouncer at the bar, right? With their yep. standing at the doorway with their arms crossed, you know, arbitrarily telling people, no, you can't enter. Rather than seeing value in a mental health professional who can just come alongside you and help you with the process, because it is whether someone ultimately decides to transition or not, it's a process of self discovery and healing and, and integration. And there, there seems to be very little these days built into the system to just help people with that process to make sure that, it, you know, that, that you're self-aware enough to really make that decision for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, the way I kind of tell it to, to some of my more, you know, conservative friends who are just really put off by all of it. I, I said, you know, really, I mean, most of the people that are sort of pushing this and even I would say, you know, maybe I'm being generous to the, the trans activist space, but I think a lot of people genuinely think they're doing the right thing. Um, I think they genuinely think that they're helping people and they're helping prevent people from hurting themselves in the future and helping them to be their true selves and live their best life. Um, but like you said, there it's like, it's, it's this distorted thinking. It's like thinking about it as the, the careless bouncer, as opposed to, 
you know, sort of someone who's helping to kind of shepherd you along in life and, and help you grow as a human being. So like, I mean, I'll, I'll never like out of the the therapists that I've talked to, it's like, I'll, I'll never say anything bad about them because most of like the ones that I've, that I talked to over the years have been genuinely curious. Like none of them actively like pushed me down a transition path. They also didn't really push back. Um, but that was because, you know, that their, their specialty wasn't gender. Um, like, I mean, I guess there are, you know, people, uh, therapists that, that specialize in gender, but that seems, you know, from what I hear, that seems to really skew only in one direction in terms of like go transition, but like the people who are caring and do want to help the only education they have says, well, if they're really insistent about wanting to transition, then like support them in that. Uh, whereas, yeah, we do need people who care about the gender side of things that are versed in what's actually going on that understand, you know, that actually understand the precious few real scientific studies that are going on surrounding all of this and willing to work from that angle and willing to help people from that angle. Um, we need, you know, we need far more uh, of those types of people. We need, need far more of the, uh, the Abigail Schreiers, the Deborah Sows, the, um, the, the, the some therapist lady on Twitter. Like we, we need far more people like that, that are willing to just go dive in and really, yeah. Um, help, help people truly help to seek to understand and not just sort of follow this, this trend. 100%. Well, thanks for being here, Torin. Yeah. Thanks for thank telling you your story. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's been great to chat with you. I enjoyed the, the article that, that um, you submitted and then we posted, but it's been great to just have a conversation with you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for giving me a platform to just share. I mean, I, you know, all I want to, I, I want to see, you know, I want to see people live, uh, you know, free, uh, thriving lives. I want to see people be whole. And, um, yeah, the reason why I share my story is that, uh, you know, the paths that are popular right now didn't lead to wholeness. Um, and just want to see uh, other people make, hopefully make better, more informed, wise, healthy decisions. And especially men, and I really appreciate you coming on and doing this because so many detransition men are, 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 won't do this publicly and yeah. are, are not anonymously. And so, and it's really very, very courageous and uh, yeah, commendable that you, that you speak out so openly. Thank you. I appreciate that. Great. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.